Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Get ready, get ready for this piping hot tea. Get ready, get ready for tea time and filter with your loving tea. Spin all this hot tea on this podcast street. So get ready, get ready for this piping hot tea. From tea time and filter with your loving tea. Hey, Tea Sippers, welcome to another episode of Tea Time Unfiltered with your girl, Lovely Tea. And I got my girl, Lady J, in the house. Lady J, say what's up to the people. Hey, everybody. How you guys doing? Hey, Tea, it's been a minute. It has been. I feel like since I've been out of town for so long, I've literally, like the past week, I've been resting and I've just been trying to catch up on all of this news. It is a lot going on globally. It is insane what is going on globally. And that's why we're here to do this podcast, to get everyone up to date, because a lot of things that are happening overseas are definitely going to affect us here in America. As always. Exactly. Now, one of the biggest news stories that just broke, like not even two days ago, was the assassination of Prime Minister uh, Shenzo Abba. Can you talk about him and just... You know, me and you had our own little conversation and we have our own little conspiracies on, you know, how this whole assassination came to be. But can you talk about the the role that he played in Asian politics, especially with China, Taiwan, America, Russia, all of that stuff? Well, absolutely. I'll tell you for me personally, when I was actually up really late working and I had saw the video of him being shot. Um, Anybody who's been to Asia, specifically Japan, would be just shocked by the fact that he got shot. Yeah, because there's no gun violence there. Yeah, like that was the thing that caught me first. Like, what? Like, that part, okay? Um, And then after, this is just my personal opinion, the first first thing I thought was the Chinese. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie. And I'll explain why. I mean, there's so many potential players here. This is an international figure. Shinzo Abe would be described as centrist left or, you know, close, like center left, right, you know, and more kind of nationalistic, comes from a family who I think his grandfather and his brother were prime ministers before. So, like, he comes from a family of, like, this... I don't want to say it's like the Kennedys, but liken to the Kennedys, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and his position was that uh, Japan should be a stronger entity to ward off China. Um, and Shinzo Abe had just left his station as prime minister just a few years ago because he was having some like health issues. And that was shocking. So I was shocked to hear that he was running again because the elections are just yesterday. And I was like, wow, he's running again. Of course he's going to win because he's very popular. He comes from like this dynasty. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he was shocked to me, the first thing that I said to myself is like, who benefits 
shooting Senzo Abe right now with what all is going on. And that's something that we can go a little bit further into because the implications are just so wide reaching. It's it's the fact that they assassinated this man, or and I'm gonna say that because I don't believe it was just this one entity, or some guy that's from their own military forces that's apparently disgruntled, perfect setup. Yeah, he's a perfect patsy. Yes, exactly. A patsy. That's exactly what he is. So, you know, with that being said, for him to be shot in Nara, you know, uh, 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 Japan is a relatively safe place. You right. know, you have your issues. But a political assassination in 2022 out in the open like that, I'm sorry. I don't believe this was a lone, quote, lone wolf situation. And I, it's sad that I just can't sit here and say, oh, it's a lone wolf because everything I've been fed, I have to challenge it because I don't believe nothing. Well, one of the things I noticed when, you know, looking up a lot of info on Shenzo Abe, mm -hmm. if you go into Chinese Internet, we talk about all the time Weibo. Well, they're basically on Weibo celebrating. Oh, of course the they people are. are not necessarily the government because you know they're going to play their position, but a lot of people are on, are on Chinese social media celebrating this. And as global leaders have expressed their grief and shock on Chinese social media, the celebrations of the ex prime minister's death, many Chinese social media accounts reportedly celebrated his death. An Australia based China activist has identified these accounts, which are uh, making comments saying that it's good that Mr. Abe died, including I'm so happy, great news and party time. This was, these posts were reshared many times. And what's uh, interesting is that China's President Xi has made no formal statement yet on the death of Mr. Abe, though the Chinese Foreign Office has expressed shock. But there's been no statement yet from President Xi. So, you know, at this point, I do have to give the Chinese the side eye because this man was the main protector of Taiwan. And we all know China has been wanting to invade Taiwan. And I think it may happen because what they've been doing for the past few months is sitting back, sipping tea and watching their bestie, Russia, slowly just take over Ukraine. And I think that's what they're yeah. gearing to do. And what better way to now have more access into Taiwan than by getting rid of the prime minister of Japan? Well, a strong one, because there is already a current prime minister there. And I think there were two since he left. Mm -hmm. Because one served out the rest of his term and then I think another one was elected and I could be wrong with that. But the thing is that Shinzo Abe represented a strong unifying force in this Asian Western conglomerate. And you can actually take it back. You know, I do love history. You can take it back to something very similar. The enemy of the enemy is my friend of the situation you had to deal with the Axis powers during the Second World War. Mm -hmm. And the reason why Shinzo Abe is so popular is because he was able to bring together the Koreans, the the Americans, the, uh, ja the Japanese, uh, and other Western powers like Germany, Italy, France, and the UK, because he understood that an enemy of an enemy is my friend. You know, and the Japanese just 
this year decided to tell Russia, no, these particular islands that were really further up in Japan past Hokkaido. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Near the Chinese, Russian, Japanese border, the Russians claimed it as theirs when they went to fight in Ukraine. And then the Japanese came around and said no. And for the fact that Shinzo Abe was running and for him to be a strong leader right now, to me, that was an indication of the powers getting together and kind of getting their footing together because we finna rumble. The fact that they took him out. Yeah, this is going to have big, big political implications globally. Um, It's going to, you know, even though, again, it happened to Japan, this is, you know, causing a global ripple. We've heard Joe Biden speak on him. Trump was sending his condolences. So this this man was a key player in all of this. And right now, America is very nervous because they've never totally said that they would, you know, um, go to war if Taiwan is invaded. But now we may be forced to with Shenzo Abe's assassination. The shocking assassination of former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe is an ominous sign that things are about to break. Really, things are about to break with the U.S.-led world order. Uh, because, you see, you see, Abe, in recent weeks and months, uh, as he's been plotting a, a major political comeback, he's, his main calling card has been that, uh, that he will rally the United States and Japan to come to defend Taiwan against China. And, yes, this was, this was pretty much uh, his... Uh, his signature issue uh, as he plotted a, as he plotted to come back uh, into Japanese politics uh, despite a very a, a very humiliating uh, in, in some ways uh, resignation uh, not unlike Boris Johnson's res- resignation uh, back in 2020 so so yeah what does what does this indicate to us uh, if uh, if you believe in karma and if you believe that things don't happen by accident uh, this is what I think uh, his death, uh, Mr. Abe's death, signifies, and that is that uh, the more the, the more the U.S. and its allies try to like try to really nose try to shove their noses in China's business and try to boss China around, the, the more the more backlash uh, they're gonna uh, they're gonna get at home, and the more things the more their own citizens are gonna blow up on their own leaders at home. Uh, this. We saw this already happen with Trump back in 2020, uh, culminating in the events of January 6th, of course. Uh, now, now um, Trump's great Trump's buddy in Japan, Mr. Abe, unfortunately, uh, he's been killed uh, by by a disgruntled Japanese Japanese Navy veteran, probably over probably over economic or even pension issues. And so, yeah, like I. Of course, all predictions, all pre- all predictions and forecasts of, of black swan events like this are uh, are hazardous. But but you can hardly miss you can h- hardly miss the political symbolism at this moment in history, especially in the history of the Asia Pacific. Uh, this the rise of China and China's replacement of the United States in, in, as the top power in Asia. It will not be peaceful. There will be victims. Shinzo Abe has now become one of them. 
primarily because he stuck his neck out for Taiwan, and this is what he got. It's it's and, and when we were talking earlier, we had talked a little bit about this earlier, but I had said to you, well, actually, I left you a message, mm-hmm. and I had said to you, I think I said something like, I don't want to say. Shinzo Abe's assassination is likened to the Archduke. Last name is Principe, shot the Archduke uh, Ferdinand, Franz Ferdinand, and his wife Sophie, and it started the, the First World War. But they was already there was already conflicts in other parts of the world that was the partition in Africa had happened. The Asians and the Japanese, the Japanese were already fighting the Russians. All of the, the same stuff that's going on right now was at play in the late 1800s after the post-industrial revolution and the beginning to the drop of World War One with a pandemic in tow. And right after that, the Great Depression. And then what happened after that? 1933, World War II. So, like, you know, we have a tendency to repeat things, and that's when I saw this, I was like, oh, God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and all these other prime ministers who are dropping off the face of the earth, did you hear, you know what I'm saying? Like, we can keep going down a list if you like, because there's I mean, more. even in London, you know, yeah. in, in Britain, we have Boris, he just resigned. He should have left. Yeah. But the thing that was very interesting about him finally resigning is I remember like a day or two before he officially resigned, Boris Johnson, mm-hmm. literally so many people in the cabinet were like, we can't take this anymore. I quit. He knew the accused minister had previously committed predatory behavior, but he promoted him to a position of power anyway. Why? Yeah. Yeah. Minister. Mr. Speaker, that individual, the uh, old member for Tamworth, no longer has the Conservative whip. He no longer has a, a job. He, he is no longer, as soon as I was made aware of the, the allegation that he has just read out, uh, Mr. Speaker, and the complaint that was made, uh, he, lost, uh, his, um, he lost his status as a Conservative MP. Anyone quitting now after defending all that hasn't got a shred of integrity. Mr. Speaker, isn't this the first recorded case of the sinking ships fleeing the rats? This is what the end of the road looks like for Boris Johnson. The British Prime Minister says he's stepping down after a string of salacious scandals and a wide-scale rebellion within his own government. His announcement caps off an astonishing fall from grace for a politician who once looked poised to dominate British politics on the right for years to come. Today, Prime Minister Johnson delivered a brief resignation speech outside Number 10 Downing Street, thanked his supporters, refused to apologize for the scandals that brought him down. But he acknowledged that he couldn't carry on as Prime Minister. I know that there will be many people who are relieved and uh, perhaps quite a few who will also be disappointed. And I want you to know how sad I am to be giving up the best job in the world. But them's the breaks. Even if things can sometimes seem dark now, our future together is golden. Thank you all very much. And with that, the Johnson era nears a close after three tumultuous years in power. As his remaining supporters applauded him, a large crowd gathered outside number 10 to boo the prime minister. Johnson knew the writing was on the wall. He had to. According to Bloomberg, he joked to his staff that he acted like a Japanese soldier fighting in the woods after the end of World War II, 
by trying to cling to power last night before realizing this morning he had to go. Yeah, yeah. And again, some people will argue that because Boris would be considered a conservative, very Trumpian-like. Um, and a lot of people ask the question, is Boris Johnson's departure a sign of the short-lived neoconservative? Absolutely not. But one people would say that, oh, he's a Tory. He was very liberal-leaning as a conservative. But that's really not it. He has so many scandals. And this last scandal with him hiring on an MP who had a known sexual assault allegation against him in recent memory it was the it was it was the chum in the water, as they say, when you know sharks circle, there's blood in the water, and then you throw chum in and they lose their mind. That's what happened with Boris. That's what happened with Boris. And it was well deserved. <laughs> yeah, I think well people deserved. were definitely tied to him. But again, with him stepping down, half of the cabinet also stepping down, mm. where is this gonna leave the UK? Because if you guys don't know, right now the UK economy they are facing the worst inflation and the fastest rising of inflation that they've ever faced in 40 years. The price of food in the UK has jumped up significantly. Um, the, the train conductors and I think teachers, there's several major companies and workers that are on strike. Not deterred by an overcast London, Thousands of people travelled across the country to be here. I've travelled up from Plymouth. I've just travelled from Sheffield. I've travelled up from Bromley. Yeah, I've come from Abergwen in South Wales. It's about a four-hour journey. Protesting against the inaction they see in tackling the cost of living crisis. Crowds dotted with placards warning of soaring inflation and a squeeze on earnings. They marched down Whitehall with a brief pause outside Downing Street. Last month's package of support announced for the Chancellor, estimated £21 billion, in this crowd at odds with stagnant wages for public sector workers. I'm a nurse in the health service. Colleagues are leaving because they can't afford to, to work. Their bills are going up. They're having to pay for parking in hospitals again. And our pay is just not enough. We had a real feeling that after the pandemic, things were going to get better, that we were going to be recognised, we were going to get paid properly. And it's just really... Taking the soul out of everyone that actually that's not going to happen and we're going to get told yet again pay rises for others but not for public sector workers. That discontent may linger. Three 24 hour nationwide train strikes start Tuesday and will disrupt travel, Network Rail says, for the entire week. We Day two of the most significant rail strike to hit the UK in decades. Cleaners, station staff and other workers arrived at the picket line early on Thursday morning as railways were paralyzed for the second time this week across the country. On Tuesday, a first day of industrial action left millions of commuters in a lurch. It's absolutely awful, man, absolutely awful. I mean, normally my, my route is about, about 30 minutes. It's been extended to about one hour, 15 minutes. The strike's really not helping anyone, if you ask me. I must say this, I had quite, as I said, I had quite a pleasant journey in this morning because my train was deserted and the route was much shorter. But I generally feel like it's probably right that they are striking because with everything going up and people not being paid enough, I understand. Tens of thousands of railway workers are protesting pay and working conditions amid soaring inflation. 
which has hit a 40-year high and is expected to keep rising. Prime Minister Boris Johnson has criticized the strikes. I want to emphasize to everybody this morning why I think those strikes are so wrong, so wrong and so unnecessary. Don't forget, throughout the pandemic, uh, the UK government supported the railway industry to the tune of £16 billion. His government is attempting to push through legislation that would allow it to plug staffing gaps during industrial action. Workers at London's Heathrow Airport have voted to strike over pay as surging inflation erodes salaries and sparks growing industrial unrest. Almost 700 workers are set to strike during the British summer holidays when the demand from travellers would be expected to be at its peak. British Airways says it's offered a 10% one-off payment, which was accepted by the majority of staff. Unions say they agreed to a 10% pay cut last year when the British Airways and the industry were suffering vast losses due to the pandemic and the airline slashed thousands of jobs. They now want a permanent salary uplift rather than a one-off payment. Though increasing pay might help, the problem is, of course, that airlines and airports alike uh, have signed themselves in, in two years of losses and don't have that much financial muscle at the moment either to simply increase um, increase pay across the board. Um, so that that is a real issue. The, the industry needs to make it more attractive for people to work uh, at, at airports. So today's show sponsor is brought to you by Dipsy. So what's your summer fantasy? A whirlwind romance in Italy? Getting wet dancing in a warm rainstorm? Or maybe an unexpected summer fling? No matter how you want to get hot and steamy this season, Dipsy has a sexy story to indulge you in all of your fantasies. Dipsy is a full app full of hundreds of short, sexy stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters no matter who you're into or what turns you on. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can find something new to explore. For listeners of my show, Dipsy's offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go on to dipsystories.com slash sip slow. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go on to dipsystories.com forward slash sip slow. So once again, make sure you go to dipsystories.com slash sip slow and enjoy. Right now. Yeah, because they're all on strike. Mm hmm. That's why I flew back over there. I'm like, oh, no, they're saying, hey, don't come with your, don't check no luggage in, do a carry-on. And now we're international flights. They're actually charging you for the carry-on. Now they're weighing it and they're charging. Because why? There's nobody there to do the thing. And it has, and this is, this is Brexit, people. Elections have consequences. And this is why I was tripping about Shinzo Abe's assassination. Because I don't know if a lot of people didn't hear this. But the I'm going to say the the president general, and that may not be his term of the head of NATO. They had their NATO conference just a week and a half ago. okay, and that was in Spain. If I got my country right, the head of the guy, the spokesman came out and basically said, and I'm paraphrasing. uh, Yeah, basically, we ain't got um, Russia is 
causing all the problems right now. And we're not even mentioning China because we think China and Russia are the greatest threats to such and such and such. And then he closed. Basically, we're not even going to put China in here because we know they're trash. Okay, and it pissed China off. Oh, you want to go ahead and bring in Finland and Sweden and NATO? I'll raise you one. So that's why I was like, did they really assassinate Shinzo Question mark? Back to the NATO summit in Madrid, where the alliance is outlining a new, stronger vision for the future, it says. The leaders at the summit yesterday declared Russia the most significant and direct threat to their country's peace and security. For the first time, the alliance also issued a warning about China, accusing it of bullying its neighbors and forming a strategic partnership with Moscow that poses a challenge to the West. The leaders included threats presented by Beijing into a new blueprint for its strategy going forward. President Biden yesterday unveiled plans to increase U.S. military presence across Europe. The president said the U.S. will deploy additional troops to Romania on a rotating basis and enhance other rotational deployments in the Baltic states. Yeah, something is definitely going on. Yeah. You know, it's like all these global, you know, powers that be in, in different countries. It's like just a game of pawn at this point. You know, mm-hmm. and that's the part that's really disturbing because, like I said, even in the UK with them facing the inflation, we're also dealing with it here. Mm-hmm. Even here in America, you have the Delta um, workers, the pilots, and everything else. Right now, they're all on strike, a lot of them. So, yeah, right now, a lot of there's a lot of cancellations, delays, you know, flights are crazy. And Delta is one of the best airlines to fly in America. Let's just mm-hmm. keep it real. But I know when I was at Delta, when I was leaving um, Essence and I was talking to some of the workers and stuff, we were just conversing. And I'm like, you know, I really hope this, you know, flight doesn't get canceled. I just want to get home today. It's bad enough I'm having to, you know what I'm saying, take two separate flights because I had a layover in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And so they were saying that basically, you know, there will be more um, more picketing because mm-hmm. these people are getting paid the same amount of money. But they're doing twice as much work because, oh. one, you had massive people who just did not come back after the whole COVID thing. You right. had folks who either were sick, died, or just chose not to go back to work, work for themselves, whatever. The so fact. there was already a, a staffage shorting. And so now I'm picking up the work of maybe two other pilots, two other you know baggage carriers, just whatever your job is at the airlines. But they're not getting paid twice as much money. So that is the issue. Delta Airlines, the largest carrier at Metro Airport, is warning passengers trouble could be on the horizon for the holiday weekend. It comes as staff shortages are causing delays and cancellations. Consumer investigator Hank Winchester live at Metro right now. As Hank, some pilots are taking a stand. They did earlier today, Devin, there was an informational picket in front of the terminal. We're going to have more on that in a moment. Delta CEO coming out today saying it could be a rough travel weekend. And if the CEO is giving you the warning, get ready. Let me give you a live look behind me right now. Uh, you can see a, you know, a fairly decent crowd here at Metro. It was a little bit busier during the day. Let's take a look at the big board. The cancellations we see right now, a flight from Detroit to Paris on Delta, also Las Vegas. It was a Vegas flight that was also canceled this morning. And as you can imagine, passengers are concerned. It's not the first thing you want to see as you roll up to Detroit Metro preparing to take off. Delta pilots staging this informational picket. They say they're simply overworked, underpaid, and say they've had enough. 
we're picking up overtime. There's only so much we can do. And quite frankly, management needs to set a pace, an amount of flying that is commensurate with with what is uh, is available for, for the workforce. Delta, Detroit's biggest carrier, saying to expect operational challenges during the next few days and already offering travel waivers for flights between July 1st and July 4th. Passengers just hoping for the best. It is what it is, but you just come and hope for the best, you know. In an email sent to Delta customers this morning, Delta CEO saying, if you've encountered delays and cancellations recently, I apologize. We've spent years establishing Delta as the industry leader in reliability, and though the majority of our flights continue to operate on time, this level of disruption and uncertainty is unacceptable. Then on top of that, we're dealing with our own inflation in this country where, you know, the price of rent is going up, mortgages are going up. Food is going up. Gas is going up. But the pay is not going up. So this is affecting everyone globally. Everything that's going on, like I always say, whatever happens in one country overseas, it has a trickle-down effect. Yes, we may not be the Ukraine. We may not live in the Ukraine. But this war is definitely affecting everyone globally. It really, really is. And not to mention the fact, I mean, you know, like I said, there's a lift. Of, of notable figures in the last just week that are no more, whether it's of natural causes, sinister causes, or just being pushed out. So we got Abe was assassinated. Shocking. I can't believe that. We have Boris windmilling for his life in Parliament to only 10 hours later resign. And then the Sri Lankans. Let's talk about Sri Lanka. And how oh, they Sri ain't Lanka's got no gas. Do it. How they ain't got no gas. They have no gas. They have no food. People are literally running the streets of Sri Lanka, banging pots and pans, you know, as a sign of protest. There's literally no food right now. And the thing with this global food crisis, it's affecting a lot of countries. Mm -hmm. And I stated this months ago, you know, this war is very strategic because Ukraine is also known as the breadbasket of the world. You know, a large percentage of the world gets their grain from Ukraine. And so when Ukraine is not able to export grains and foods to places like Africa, India, Sri Lanka, it's taking a toll on the people. So because they're going through their own conflict, a lot of other countries in Europe are like, hey, we're going through things too. So at that point, it's about self-preservation, right? Yes, it is. I can't sit here and export my grains and rice and flour, you know what I'm saying, to these quote-unquote third-world countries when us in the quote-unquote first world, and I hate that, but y'all get what I'm trying to say, um, we're struggling too. We're dealing with inflation too. We're dealing with high gas prices too. So now a lot of European countries, they're not exporting anything because they feel like they got to feed, they have to have enough food to feed their own people. So now places like Sri Lanka and, you know, Sudan and other places in Africa that are used to these, you know, handouts from the U.N. and things like that, they're not getting it. So you have people who are literally starving to death right now. It's mealtime in the nation of Yemen, but Ghalib al-Najjar isn't eating so that his children have enough food. He says he and his family live like ants or fish. We eat what we can find. Experts warn that in the months ahead, food is going to be harder to find in many more nations. 
A perfect storm of several problems is decimating the world food supply. It's being called the biggest food crisis since World War II. An estimated 285 million people face starvation. The head of the World Food Program, former South Carolina Governor David Beasley, says the world food supply already faced a catastrophe before the war in Ukraine. We're so short of funds already, and now with Ukraine, we've, uh, we've got 50% rations for people, for example, in Yemen. Niger, 50% rations. Chad, 50% rations. And 50% don't have anything. Those who are in extreme need. In the U.S., Americans have seen food costs rise almost 10% over last year, the steepest increase in 40 years. And experts predict it will lead to an increase in malnutrition among America's poor. In the developing world, however, it's become a matter of life and death. Russia and Ukraine together produce almost one-third of the world's wheat. But Ukrainian farmers have been sidelined by the war. And Russia has banned exports. They, they've got to be planting again and harvesting again. If, if they don't, then you're going to have a global supply problem. And the war in Ukraine is only the latest of many problems to hit the world food supply. Food prices were already high from soaring inflation and fuel costs. Fertilizer prices are now 40% higher than a month ago before the invasion of Ukraine, which along with high fuel prices makes it too expensive for some farmers to plant crops this year. We've never seen these type of increases in fertilizer. You're talking three, 400% increases in a 14-month period. Add to that a drought that damaged this spring's U.S. winter wheat harvest. In China, severe flooding late last year wrecked the wheat harvest and has the communist government trying to buy up as much of the world's supply as possible. And now a growing list of nations have banned agricultural exports to other nations. Reverend Eugene Cho of Bread for the World says the U.S. needs to do more to fight global hunger, asking Congress to approve $3.8 billion in supplemental emergency funding. But let's just talk about Afghanistan. 98% of the population do not have enough food to eat. 98%, 1 million children under the age of five could die from malnutrition by the end of this year. Even Africa's wealthiest nation faces a food crisis. According to Nigerian agri-investor Imal Silva, who told us a majority of Nigerians face malnutrition. The, those that are, are, are most affected are the majority um, in the lower and middle class, you know, in the society. You know, those that are living below a particular level of income would feel the pinch, and that's quite a large majority. And Beasley warns the world's food crisis could spiral into a political crisis. You got catastrophe coming to catastrophe. So don't be surprised if you don't see destabilization in several nations over the next six to nine months. Kenya, it's, it's bad. Sudan, Djibouti, and yep, Kenya. Kenya. You mm-hmm. know, because all, you know, all along that corridor. And what's so interesting is that the Chinese has a military base in Djibouti, which is one of the largest DC ports in the world. And I know you and I have mentioned that before, but it's proximity to some of these areas like again, Ethiopia, Sudan, uh, Kenya, that are having these these uh, sectarian violence and droughts and food shortages and economic, you know, issues. 
right? And then you have Cilion, formerly known Cilion, Sri Lanka. Um, and the Chinese are just with their massive ships just rolling right past by. And the Chinese can't offer no help anyway. They used to be able to do stuff like that. They can barely feed their people. Uh, let's you know talk about it. You know, everybody is, you know, looking at China as this huge superpower, but China's really struggling right now. Right. And I think that's what people are not realizing. It's gotten so bad in China with their debt crisis, okay? Mm -hmm. People are no longer trying to buy land in, in China. Before, a lot of companies would go and buy land, put up buildings, you know, work remotely from China, things like that. But a lot of companies have pulled out and their land sales have plummeted. Because of those strict, crazy lockdowns that they were having in Shanghai, one of their largest cities. Mm -hmm. So that really was a bad look for China. And right now they're facing a $1 trillion funding gap. Of course. And they, they have no way to fix this. So it's gotten so bad. They're monitoring the air conditioners of people in China. Like you can only run your air for so long. Like it's gotten that crazy. And it's bad because this is what happens. And, and the Chinese will say, we're, we're not communists. We're socialists with Chinese characteristics. You know, we haven't reached true, full communism. You can't when you have Ferragamo and Hermes on Nanjing Road. It's impossible. You know, or you go in Soho and Beijing and you got all of the rich Nigerians kicking it with the, the rich Chinese. But see, what has happened is the party has died. The party has died, meaning that what brought the, the liveliness, at least from a Western perspective, I'm not Chinese, but from a Western perspective in these tier one cities, what's happening now is everybody's gone. Mm -hmm. People are leaving like people that I knew who lived in China since the early 2000s because not only they're aging out, oh, there's an age limit. You can't get a visa in China after the age of 59 unless you are a very esteemed high-end person with a real high skill set. You will not get a visa there. You're not to go there to live. They want to use you, make your money off of you, and send you packing. And now all of the foreigners are leaving. There's not a lot of investment. Check a ticket in China to go to China right now. Any major city, U.S. to Shanghai, $6,000. Wow. Okay? And if you check the last week of August, it jumps down to 1200 now, why would that happen? Hmm, what's happening usually at the end of August? Ah, school starting. And so what they're doing is they want to try to elicit more Westerners to come back in and teach their kids because they ain't got nobody. Nobody wants to. They only pay these teachers literally $500 a month. 300, 3,000 3, RMB, 8,000 RMB to teach their kids. When a foreigner can come in there and make 4,000 a month. Mm. <sighs> So now you have a problem with your local people don't want to work in some of these industries. You shut down education being so reactionary. You shut down at this zero COVID. So you say, then Xi Jinping was in Hong Kong the other day at a railway station. <laughs> Girl, when I tell you they cleared out that damn railway station, I think he was somewhere near Chongqing Mansion somewhere or uh, Landau somewhere, but he was in one of those train stations and they had nobody there. He, that man is afraid for his life. 
I've never seen that. We are in some really interesting times, people. I'm telling you, that Shinzo Abe assassination is bigger than I think we all even really realize. There's a lot more going on, though. It's it's, yeah. it's tragic. It really is. It is. And, you know, the whole situation is crazy, but this was definitely planned out very strategically. Even back in March, I know we had a big uh, Discord meeting, and I was telling everybody back then that, you know, at that point, Putin was saying to the rest of Europe, fine, y'all want to agree with these sanctions from the U.S. and everything else? In order for y'all to get any type of gas from us, you must buy it in rubles. Mm -hmm. And he came out with that back in March. And people thought he was crazy. Oh, nobody's going to buy his gas in rubles. Screw him. Nobody's going to, you know, pay him for natural gas and oil. Well, it's been announced as of a few days ago that basically the rubles have surged to a seven-year high mm -hmm. as gas buyers bend to Putin's will. It's his part. When you make a comparison, it's going to have a higher yield than the U.S. dollar. You yes. The euro. The, I don't know if it'll hit the pound. That's when it's really something interesting. But in the temporal, the ruble is really strong. And, and, and mm -hmm. they have no choice. They have no, winter's coming. It's July. Can you believe it's mid-July already? And see, yeah. government's plan in advance. You know, us little people, we think about, oh, what we're going to do next week. We may be thinking about school shopping. But, you know, with interest rates so high, y'all better start shopping now if you can find anything. Um, you know, but governments, they look way beyond. They're looking, you know, they're fiscally looking 5, 10, 20 years down the line. And this one is not going to be good. We got this new Omicron variant running around. We got monkeypox popping up really heavy here in the United States. We're still in a pandemic, people. Wear your mask. Okay. Um, you know, we have similar situations to history's past. You know, like Dust Bowl. The Dust Bowl happened in the 30s. That was in between the period of the Depression, the economic depression, and the beginning of the Second World War. You know, we as human beings have a tendency to repeat history. And it's a cautionary tale that we're having issues. You just did videos a few weeks ago about the food crisis. Mm-hmm. Okay? Egg farms and crops and things like that, that has an effect. So if you don't have anything to produce, have you seen how much chicken costs lately? Oh yeah. For a pack of chicken, it's close to $20 now. Who's, who's eating chicken every day anymore? Hands? <laughs> I ordered, no lie. And this is a true story. I ordered like a pan of chicken from J and J fish, lemon pepper, with the fries and the bread. And then I had a side of like a shrimp, a shrimp plate and, a, and two sodas. After I tipped my driver, do you know how much that came to? How much? $90. Wow. And I had hit thin so quick, I didn't even look at the amount. And I'm sitting back eating my little shrimp and my chicken. And I look, I said, $90? What the hell? My food costs only what 40 mm -hmm. this is where we are oh, so y'all yeah. we got to pay attention things that affect you know other countries and other people affect us too and and these conversations need to be had now more than ever we got to pay attention
You know, I know yeah. you love, we all love to sit back and talk and kiki. That's why I appreciate conversations like this because it's really, really important because yeah. t- again, it's been proven some of the conversations that you've had about certain things because, you know, people, when you pay attention, you can kind of forecast what's happening, mm-hmm. you know? So folks pay attention. These are some really interesting times. They're not dark per se, but we got to pay attention. You now, know? do you think that eventually the ruble will overtake the dollar and that will be the global currency? Do you think that's what Putin is shooting for? Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. I actually think that all of our currencies are about to see a significant slip. Yeah. And I'm talking significant. The buying power of your dollar, even here at home, it, I mean, it's already low. Yeah, it's not the same. And it's not even not. that, let's not forget, too, that the, the main thing is they're going to be merging to digital currency. So the, the fiscal dollar is going to be a thing in the past in a few years. That is the main thing is to have a one world global currency. Yes. yes. And I think for how I'm looking at it through the eyes of like, Putin and, um, you know, the president of China, Mm -hmm. Xi Jinping, I think what it is is that they're racing to make their currency, again, more valuable, um, you know, with the ruble going up by 7%, if not higher. I think they're going to eventually turn that into the digital market. They want to be the the race to that digital dollar. Yeah, the Chinese and the Russians have been doing that for some time, you know, especially with their, you know, their digital terrorism as well. You know, that goes mm-hmm. both ways. I mean, I know you mentioned Elon Musk and how and I have been asking this question, just I just talking to regular people like, how is this man not arrested or even charged with some type of security exchange crime? Look, he even buying Twitter now. Why would you go in and say that to devalue it, to increase the stock in Tesla? Your Dogecoin ain't doing too good. All of the investors pull out a Dogecoin. Okay. Well, that was never even supposed to be a real coin. It was a joke started by the internet. And he just thinks it's funny. And that's what I say. Like, the things that he gets away with, nobody else can get away with this. No. Like, he's literally, like, people don't understand, like, every time he tweets and says certain things that are quote-unquote financial advice, he actually has the power to move and change the markets. He does. That's not a lie. That's not a conspiracy. Mm -hmm. Nobody else has that power because people hang on to his every word because, again, we live in a microwave society where it's easier to hang on to the words of Elon Musk than to actually go out of your way to learn how true finance and stock works. That's too much work. So I'd rather just listen to him say, to the moon with Dogecoin. And let me go take 50 grand and go buy Dogecoin, even though it wasn't even a real cryptocurrency. It was a joke currency, you know, and it just shows how people are lemmings. And kudos to the people who got in early and got their bag. I'm hey. not mad at them because some of my T-sippers walked away with a nice bag, okay? okay so kudos yeah, to them who got in early. But to the ones who were coming at the tail end, it just made no sense. Like you're coming right. in at the tail end of something, you're going to be the one left holding the bag. But the things that he does, you're definitely right. I don't understand how he does not get in trouble for securities fraud or yeah. issues. You know, it is market manipulation at its highest level. And I mean, it that's definitely exactly is. what you have Putin doing. You orchestrated this war, Putin, to go into the Crimea to finish your incursion into Crimea, so you can take these two eastern provinces and basically give them as duchies. To the Belarusian. 
to give you a buffer state because this is all this whole situation. Well, not fully, but mainly Russia needs a buffer state between NATO. And the fact that Turkey the other day said, I, I'm a let Sweden and Finland come in, but y'all got to give me some of these people that's been giving me problems in my country. If y'all want me to vote for them to let them in. Okay, <laughs> this is what this is what these people are talking about. You know, the Turks like to come on American soil and beat people up in front of the right house. You know, let's not forget that they're gangsters and they support the Russians right now in Syria. Well, slightly with issues with Basa al-Assad. Yeah, Syria is still at war. You know what I'm saying? Like and they're a proxy into other parts of Europe and into Eurasia. Why? follow the money they are prepping themselves why why would russia be trying to strengthen this currency they don't give a damn about the russian people they want to be able to have enough money to not only to support their military dominance in their mind mm -hmm. they everybody is trying to get their coins together to stock up their military fuck the people yeah, because it's obvious no. at this point, it's something going on with these nations and, and people are just pawns. Can we fix here? I heard somebody say one day, stop trying to find planet B. Ain't no planet B, fool. Let's work on the one we have here. And we have to start by taking care of each other and looking out for our people in our immediate community. And that extends out. These wars are kind of caused, but they need war. It's too many of us here. They got to find a way to get some of They ain't got enough food. Didn't the Georgia Guidestone said that the unique number or the, 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 the best number for humanity is 500 million? Is that what the Guidestone yeah. said? Yeah, 500 million is where they want to keep the population. So if that's true, we just had a pandemic. That didn't do enough dent. Let's go to war. Yeah. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. it makes sense to me. I mean, I don't know if I'm right, but it makes sense. Now, it's going to be very interesting as far as those Georgia Guidestones to see, you know, who took them down. Because right. the thing I found very interesting about the video is that the Georgia Guidestones are under continuous surveillance 24-7 because right. of prior vandalism. And then when they release the video, they just show a car speeding off and the before you know, the, the the before video, before it got blown. Well, where's the video of the person walking up to the Georgia Guidestone and, and putting all the, you know, all the explosives on there? Where is that video? You know, because that had to be a distraction from something else. When you, when, for me, when I get, when I hear stories like that, I feel like it's a distraction from something else. And I, I have to look up and see what date that that happened. But when I was trying to figure out um, the actual date, because I'm like, okay, what's going on right now with, you know, things going on in the world with all of these, these leaders toppling and governments having radical change. And one thing I noticed just randomly is that the Haitian president, Moise, remember he was assassinated last year, right? Mm-hmm. Him and Senzo Abe were assassinated, I think, on the same day. Okay. And to me, just bringing him into the conversation of, you know, political leaders that are no longer with us is that Moise 
I think he was beginning to try to turn the tide of a lot of the BS that was happening here in the Western Hemisphere. I think for the Eastern side of the world, Shinzo Abe represented that for people, um, my personal opinion, for entities like China. And when you when you have remember in our history, when political leaders are assassinated, it's something about that leader that uniting them and uniting them people is a danger to somebody else or other entities. Right. You know, and my thing is that the Japanese, like you started out with earlier, was a supporter of Taiwan. OK, the, the, the Chinese actually just the day before had warships in Jap near Japanese waters. You're not supposed to do that. You know, mm -hmm. and then you have your people sitting up here celebrating anybody who's ever lived in Asia know that the Chinese, they will go to Japan and hang out, but they hate them. They hate them. You know, and what I think is going to eventually happen in Japan is sectarian violence, because I do believe that the guy Yamayagi, Yamayambi, whatever his name is, I think he's like a Japanese Korean. OK, and the Japanese don't have much respect in the Korean peninsula and on the Ch uh, Chinese mainland because of the rape of Nanking, because of the comfort women and because of politicians like Shinzo Abe stating that, oh, those comfort women weren't slaves. Mm -hmm. Kind of like the America, make America great again type of crowd, if you get my point. That's why he was so very prominent in the Western world. So it's, these are some really interesting events, and, I, and I, I'm going to be following them closely because I like to. <laughs> now, as far as Maurice, now I wasn't even thinking about that. But he was assassinated on July 7th, and uh, Shenzo Abe was assassinated. Well, he ended up dying July 8th. So a year to the day. Yeah. You know, um, that's crazy. A year to the day. And these were that's both. That's a very rare thing. That's that rare. really is. Not to say that it can't be coincidence, but you know, a woman of my age don't believe in coincidences that often. Again, I walk down the street, I find a $100 bill, coincidence two world leaders that have strong nationalist opinions on their country and were about to start turning inward and protecting themselves and then they were assassinated. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Look at what's happening um, in Italy, what's happening in Israel. Benjamin, the whole government has collapsed in Israel. Nobody's talking about that. They collapsed the other day. There's no government. There's no government. In Israel, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, these are particular interesting times because a lot of those Israeli Jews are Russian. Okay. And that money, that money, all of that stuff is connected, y'all. Let's just sit back and watch and see what happens because this is going to be an interesting summer, but I'm going to tell you when it really is going to get pressing. These midterm elections that are about to happen, going into the fall, when heating prices are going to go up, when food shortages are really going to start kicking in because we're going out of season for a lot of food. The northern hemisphere is going to go into the wintertime. Southern hemisphere is going to go into the summertime and they're not going to share what we're going to do. Yeah. You know, that's why at this point, like we've been saying for a year, people have to prepare and stack up, freeze stuff, 
you know, grow what you can, but stack up as much as you can because right now the prices, they're only going to get higher. I mean, you can buy just literally, I went into the grocery store the other day, I came out with two bags and it came up to like 80 bucks. Just two bags. You know, it's insane. So there's definitely a shift coming. There's a lot of things going on globally. So this has been a wonderful conversation. You know, it's just, it feels good to get back in the swing of everything and just, you know, follow up and see what all is going on, not just here, but globally. Um, I know it's been a lot of mess going on in America recently with, you know, um, the Georgia Guidestones and CERN over there in Switzerland. But on top of that, there's a lot of things going on just around the world, and especially with this whole um, this hunger situation. People need to be very aware of that, that globally there's a lot of people right now who do not who do not have access to food. You know, no. countries are not shipping out food because they're trying to look out for their own people, which is mm-hmm. understandable. But there are populations of people right now who are literally starving to death. And, and it's one done thing, on purpose. yeah. And and one thing is when people feel like they have no other recourse, and you know there's no food and they can't feed their babies. That is when you're going to start seeing riots and people going crazy. And I think right now the people of Sri Lanka, they're peacefully protesting with pots and pans. But if something does not happen because right now there's no gas, there's no food, nobody's getting paid. So there's no point in going to work because there's no money to pay people to work. Mm-hmm. They're going to topple that government. Oh, he's a Rajput. Rajput. He's gone. He so left. he just left Honey. the people to starve for themselves. That's a shame. Honey, no. They ransacked the presidential palace and swam in the pool, girl. You got to look at the video, baby. The, and it wasn't, it from what I saw, yeah, it was rambunctious, but not like you would see in our country. And it wasn't a January 6th, let me tell you. But they did ransack the palace, went swimming in the pool, went to the kitchen. And they should <laughs> and have. They ran, and, and as they should have, and ransacked the place and see what they could get. They did exactly what anybody would do in an island nation who is, they're an island. And they're, they're starving. They're an island. Can y'all imagine that? And the, 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 the leadership the has just left. And I think the people are tired. I talk to people all the time, and I'm getting the same sentiment from just the average everyday American. No, people are definitely frustrated. You know, the gas prices are insane. Um, I remember I was talking to one of my Uber drivers when I was in New Orleans, and I was like, you know, these Uber prices have, like, literally doubled. Like, what's going on? I said, are y'all getting paid more? And she said no. They're not getting paid anymore. She said she's getting the same salary she's always gotten, even though they're charging us as the consumers more. Because before I could get a ride from the airport to whatever hotel I'm staying in, when I first used to like used to always use Uber, even in L.A., mm. there were times it didn't cost me more than 10 bucks. And then if I split my fare with somebody who was able to ride with me, it, there's times I've left LAX and paid five bucks. That's what's up. And not, now no, it's no, no, literally, no. you're lucky if you can get a ride from LAX up the street for less than 40 bucks. <laughs> I mean, it's insane. And I get it. You know, the price of things have to go up because gas and stuff like that. But the fact that it's literally tripled in some places, but that money does not trickle down to the Uber drivers, something does have to give. It you does. know. And that's for every sector, you know, every work sector. I mean, and government is not perfect. They're too massive. They're imperfect. But, you know, we as people, our responsibility is to be as, as educated about what's going on around us as possible. 
This is a midterm. Y'all go vote. We just had elections here in Illinois. Y'all go vote. Vote your conscience. But, you know, this is the time to get out here and really be aware and really make your voice count. I mean, it's it, every time is a good time. But right now, especially y'all, y'all got kids. We got futures. We got to really pay attention here. You know, definitely. Well, thank you so much once again, Lady J, for coming on the podcast. Our time is up. Thank but you. I appreciate you coming through with a wealth of knowledge like you always do. Thanks, Fran. It was fun. All right. <laughs> so on that note, T-Sippers, we are out. Feel free to leave a comment on YouTube. Half of this will be posted over there. Um, make sure you guys like, comment, share, and subscribe. And we will talk to you guys later. Deuces. Thank you for listening to today's show. Make sure you join us again soon. For all the latest tea, make sure you follow me on my social media pages. Just put in L-O-V-E-L-Y-T-I on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.